turn to the sixth chapter of the book of Romans, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 15. The sixth chapter of the book of Romans, beginning at verse 15. What then shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification, resulting in holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit, what fruit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, your fruit, resulting in holiness and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A preacher told that he was the chairman of a committee, finance committee, of a large crusade that was taking place in the, in the football stadium in his town. And his responsibility was to do two things. One was to be sure that the offering was received at the service. And the other was to go with his committee down to the bank and count the money for deposit the next morning. And he said, on this night, he said, it was a large offering, not in an amount, but in bulk. He said, must have been dollar night. Because he said, we just got stacks of one dollar bills, hundreds of them. And he said, we were in this room at the bank the next morning counting those dollar bills for deposit. And there was this security guard standing over in the corner, not saying anything, just watching. See that those preachers didn't pocket any of their money. And he said, as we counted out those $1 bills, he said, I was kind of making small talk and, and, and said, I wonder how many of these are counterfeit. And he said, the guy spoke up, first time he'd ever said a word, and he said, none of them. And he said, I wasn't going to let that go unchallenged. He said, I, I didn't think that, you know, Baptists would put counterfeit money in an offering plate either. I didn't think they'd do that. And he said, I wasn't going to let that go unchallenged. He said, I said to him, I don't think any of them are counterfeit either, but how could you say with such confidence that none of these are counterfeit? He said, well, 
if a person is going to take the time and the trouble to counterfeit something, he's going to counterfeit something that's worth his time and trouble. Now, yeah, I guess that's true. You ever seen any counterfeit pennies? I mean, you watch those pennies. Some of them may be counterfeit. And then the man said, the highest compliment that's ever been paid, a $20 bill is, that of all the currency of the world, it is the most counterfeited. The highest compliment that's ever been paid, the Christian faith is, that of all the religions of the world, it is the most counterfeited. And to counterfeit the Christian faith is to testify to its value. You ever heard of anybody counterfeiting atheists? Or, or drunks? <laughs> you ever heard anybody say, I'm not going down to the bar because all that bartender wants is your money? You ever heard anybody say that? So that when, a preach, when somebody says, I'm not going down to church because there are too many hypocrites down there, what they're really doing is testifying to the value of the Christian faith. Because of all the religions of the world, it is the most counterfeited. Satan's done a good job. As a matter of fact, he's been in the duplicating business for a long time. He said to Eve, I'm going to make you like God. And sometimes it's hard to tell the counterfeit from the real thing. You ever notice that? And Jesus told a parable. He said one day a man had some wheat, a field of wheat, and some weeds was sown in there with the wheat. And the servant said, Should we go out and pull up the weeds, the tares? And Jesus said, No, leave it alone, because you might, in pulling up the weeds, pull up some wheat by mistake. It's hard to tell the difference. And then he said, We'll just leave it to the end of the ages, and the angels will do the separating. Sometimes... It's so hard to tell the genuine article from the counterfeit that only angels can tell the difference. You know how the Treasury Department teaches their men how to tell a counterfeit bill? There was an article about that in the, in the Durant Democrat this week, as a matter of fact. Fit right into this sermon. You know how the Treasury Department tells their men how to... to how would you do it? How would you train somebody to detect a counterfeit $20 bill? Well, you, do you teach them what the counterfeit looks like? It has this texture and this color and etc. No, because the counterfeit often has various degrees of shades and texture. You know how they tell them to tell the difference between the counterfeit and the real thing? They teach them what the real thing looks like. That's what this article talked about in the paper this week. Do you know why it's so difficult to tell the genuine from the real article with regard to the Christian faith? Let me tell you why it's so difficult. Because we haven't seen enough of the real thing. Now, what is the real thing? Young people, graduating seniors, adults, what is the real thing? Well, in order to find the answer to that, there is no better place than this passage of Scripture I've just read. As a matter of fact, it is one of the most concise statements with regard to genuine Christianity you will find anywhere in the Scripture. And in verses 17 and 18, there are two phrases, two little phrases that describes the difference between the genuine article and the counterfeit. And they, these phrases are, these, are, are, are this. You were and you became. 
In other words, the genuine article, a Christian, is a person who was one thing and became something else. A Christian, watch this, is a person who has experienced a radical change in his life. Vance Havner said, if you are now what you have always been, you are not a Christian. Now, he wasn't talking about outward appearance. He was talking about inward reality. He is saying, if, in, if inwardly, in the reality of your life and, and witness, if you're still like you used to be, you have never experienced salvation or Christianity. For a Christian is a person who has experienced change. Now, the text describes the threefold change. First of all, there is a change in ownership. Now, J.B. Phillips translates verse 16 like this. He said, you belong to the power you choose to obey. And, and the word belong there is, is, a, is, a, is a term denoting possession. You are the possession of the power you choose to obey. An unbeliever is a slave to unrighteousness and its author. that are always the same. The first is this. There are two powers, there are two masters that are vying for your life today. They want to rule you and, and possess you. And man's life is a battleground where these two masters, these two powers vie for his affection and his commitment and his life. Second truth. You are living under one of those two masters this morning. You are a slave to one of them. You are, you are a servant to one of those masters. Third truth, you cannot be the servant, the slave of both masters at the same time. Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve two masters. Now what I'm driving at is this that we must recognize that we are not our own and we have no freedom. The only freedom we have is the freedom to choose who will be our master. And at that point, our freedom ends. Eugene O'Neill has a play called Lazarus Laughs. It's the imaginary event that takes place after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And they're in this house and, and Lazarus and Jesus are the guests of honor and they're sitting in the center reclining around the table as guests of honor. And the questions are coming toward Lazarus like popcorn. One question, what about it, Lazarus? Are you going to go back to your job that you had here in Bethany? And Lazarus turns to Jesus and says, ask him. What about it, Lazarus? Somebody smiles. Are you still going to marry Mary, the raven-haired beauty of Bethany? And Lazarus thinks about it a moment and turns to Jesus and says, Ask him. And another question, ask him. And another question, ask him. For you see, when you turn your life over to the risen Lord, you have no rights of your, of your own any longer. Young people, you do not have a right to choose where you're going to college. As a Christian, you surrender that right to Jesus Christ. You do not have the right to choose what vocation you're going to, 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 to engage in after, this, after graduation. 
You surrendered that right when you became a Christian. You do not have a right this morning to, to, to carry on your business tomorrow without considering the will of God. For as a Christian, you have surrendered that right to Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is this. You were once a slave to sin and to the devil, and Jesus set you free from that in order that you might be His possession, and He might be your owner. So that when you walk down the aisle of a church, you surrender your rights to Jesus Christ, lock, stock, and barrel. You say, I believe that. No, you don't. If you did, you'd obey it. You know why people say, can say, I believe the Bible from cover to cover? It's because they don't know what the Bible says. A guy, I heard a guy say one time, he said, it suddenly dawned on me one day that I had given up my right to Jesus Christ when I became a believer. And I started teaching that in my Sunday school class to my men. And, and, and those men said, I thought they were going to stone me. They said, that's not baptistic. You say, I believe the Bible from cover to cover. The reason why is because you don't know what the Bible says. You might say, I, I, I'm bought with a price. I'm no longer my own. Therefore, I must glorify God in my body, which is, which is His. You might say that, but you don't believe that. For if you believe it, you'd obey it. You want to know how much of this Bible you believe? If you want to know how much of this Bible you believe, then you get honest with yourself and with God and determine to how much of this Bible are you committed and you say, well, I've got some rights. No, you don't. You surrendered the right to your life up to Jesus Christ when you became a Christian. And Jesus illustrated it one day. He said, if a servant goes out and works in the field and he comes in from the field, you don't say to that servant, sit down here and I'll fix you something to eat. He said, when that servant comes in from the field, before he sits down, you say to him, you wash up, change clothes and fix me something to eat. That's what you say to your servant. Then Jesus said, now watch this. He said, after, after you have done everything that is required of you, you say, I am an unworthy slave because I have done only that which is required of me. Can you imagine what it would be like if every Christian in this church did what he was required to do? Can you imagine what that'd be like? If every Christian just did what he was supposed to do. Sometimes I catch myself thanking folks for coming to church. I feel bad about that after it's over. I get to thinking, you know, I, you know there's a big crowd on Sunday night. And I, I'll get up and I'll say, man, I'm sure glad you came. Thanks for coming tonight. What am I thanking folks for coming to church for on Sunday night? Why would I thank folks for doing what they were required to do? Now you might say, well now I didn't understand that when I became a believer, that I had to surrender the ownership of my life to Jesus Christ. Well now you do. And if a person cannot accept that as spiritual truth, he is not accepting spiritual truth because a believer is a person who has turned the ownership of his life over to Jesus Christ. Second change is a change in obedience. Did you notice how many times in this passage the word obey or obedience is used? Not only is he the owner, he is the operator. I pulled into a service station not long ago and up over the door of that service station were these words, owner, 
hyphen operator. Now, now we might be willing for God to be the owner of our life, take possession of our life, but we sure don't want Him to be operator. I don't think He's going to go for that. It'd be something like this. Can you imagine this? Here's an old boy that's so incompetent in business, he just makes a total failure of it. I mean, it's going, it's going south. It's going into bankruptcy. He's making a terrible failure in his business. He comes up to you and he says, I'd like to sell my business to you. That's pretty big business. He's got a pretty good name there, and, and, and it's going to cost you some money. So you say, yeah, well, I think I can find it. I think I can buy your business. I'll, I'll take ownership of your business, but you'll have to operate it for me. Now, would you do that? I mean, he's already proven that he's incompetent. You wouldn't do that. That'd be financing his incompetency. That'd be supporting his delinquency. You're not going to do that. Listen to me carefully. Out of this heart of love, I say it. God is not going to finance our delinquency and He's not going to support our incompetence. If you want Him to be the owner of your life, you're going to have to let Him be the operator. If you've made such a bankruptcy of your life, if you've made such a failure in your life and you've, you've messed it up and you'd like for somebody else to take it over, then you're going to have to let Him operate it. He's not going to finance your incompetency. You've seen that sign, Open Under New Management? That's exactly what a Christian is. He's a person who has said, I'm letting someone else come into my life and take control and take management of it. And so some men came to Jesus, some Jews, and they didn't like what he was saying about Abraham. And they said to Jesus, listen, we're the sons of Abraham. And Jesus looked at those Jews and said, no, you're not the sons of Abraham. If you were the sons of Abraham, you'd do what Abraham told you to do. Now, I'm talking about the pattern of one's life. I'm talking about the groove of one's life. I display the owner of my life by my obedience. No other way around it. If he is the owner, then he's going to operate. He's going to come in and take that life and operate it. I display the owner of my life by my obedience. Now, I don't normally do this, but I thought it's such a grisly day, etc., I'd bring me a little help here. Now, I know that makes you hungry. You know what that is? I want to show you. Look in verse 17. I want to show you a word there that's important. It says, it says, You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were presented or committed. That's what that is right there. That's what that word form refers to. That's a mold. That's what that is. By the way, I'm not presenting a message to you this morning. You were presented to me for the message. You ever thought about that? You were presented to the message. Now, this is what Paul is saying. He said, you were committed or presented to that form of teaching, to that message. Now, what happens when you pour some cake batter in this mold? It becomes obedient to the mold. Isn't that right? As it becomes obedient to the mold, what happens to it? It takes the form, the shape of the mold. Now Paul is saying, when you became a Christian and you turned your life over to his ownership, he became the operator. And as you obey, as you surrender 
to him, to his farm, to that farm, you begin to take the shape of the farm of the mole. Now, what is this farm he's talking about? He's talking about this message. And what is the, what is the message of the message? What is the theme of the message? The, the theme of the message is Jesus. Now, what is he driving at? He's saying that as you obey the message, you become like Jesus. You take the shape of the farm. You take the shape of the mold. The new operator begins to fashion you into his likeness. There is a change of obedience. One last thought. In the genuine article, there is a change that is obvious. Now, I don't think anybody sneaks into the kingdom of God in the back door. I think if a person is, a, is the genuine article, if he's, if he's really been saved there's going to be a change that's obvious. Now, I was sitting uh, the other day eating lunch in a restaurant here in town. And I was by myself and, and I was just sitting there eating my lunch and minding my own business and I heard this conversation going on in the booth behind me. Well, you'd have probably listened to. You know, I mean, uh, nothing else to do than eating my lunch by myself. So I just kind of, I wasn't eavesdropping. I just check it out the conversation, and, and, and one lady said, you know, he is a totally different man. Now, I want to know what in the world they were talking about, so I thought I knew, but I listened in. I just kind of leaned back and, and caught the conversation, and the conversation was that, that she, she was talking about this man who, who had gone to this revival meeting and had accepted Christ as his Savior. And, and, and both of them knew the guy, and, abs and, and obviously his reputation preceded him. And, 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 and she was saying, he is totally different. He is a different man now. What she was saying is that she was able to witness an obvious change. Now, if you'll look at verse 21, you'll find a word that's in the New American Standard. If you have that word, it's the word benefit. King James translates that fruit. And on down in the next verse, it talks about the fruit which is resulting in holiness or in sanctification. Now, why does he use the word fruit? Because that's the most obvious thing about a tree. If I see a tree growing out here and I see some apples growing on that tree, then, then I, obviously I'm going to assume that's an apple tree. Now, I'm not, I came from Knox County, but, but I, I learned that much, that if you see an apple, obviously that's an apple tree. Somebody say, how do you know that's an apple tree? I'm not going to talk about leaves. I'm going to talk about fruit. Now, now, what he's saying is this, that if you are the genuine article, there's going to be, obviously, there's going to be holiness in your life. It's natural. It's as natural to have holiness as it is for an apple tree to bear apples, because where God is, there is holiness. Now, what is holiness? When I grew up, there was this little white one-room church down next to the tracks, across the tracks from my town. A little bitty white church, and they had some of the wildest services there. I mean, probably not as wild as the stories were about them, but... Uh, that they people went to church there, rolled in the aisles and shouted and all that kind of stuff. Weird. I thought it was because it was different the way we worshiped down there at the Brick Church, First Baptist Church. 
And so some of us, we'd kind of cruise by there you at night and see what was going on, see if we actually see what was happening. And the folks that went there dressed different. And the women never cut their hair and, and just grew way out up here and, 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 and no, wore no uh, makeup. And uh, you talk about long services. Now you think we're long here. I mean, they, they, put the, they put the late night folks to bed on Sunday night. They went forever down there. And, and it was just really kind of strange for us. And I, I can remember asking my father one day, I said, Daddy, what, what is that? What kind of church is that? This was his answer. He said, those folks are holiness. Those folks are holiness. Well, it doesn't even fit, does it, the way you answer that. Those, and, and what I thought, I thought holiness was a little white, one-frame, one-room church where people acted funny. That's what I thought holiness was until I learned what the Bible says. And the Bible says... That holiness is the product of God in one's life. It is the produce of one's life. Now let me give you a definition of holiness. Holiness is a two-sided definition. Holiness is belonging to God. And secondly, it's becoming like the God to whom you belong. Holiness is belonging to God and becoming like the God to whom you belong. Now, this is what Paul is saying. Now, you watch this. This is not from Tidwell. It's from, from, it's from inspiration, from God's Word. It says this. If, if you are the genuine article, it is natural for you to become like the God to whom you belong. And if there is no holiness... If there is no evidence of God-likeness, that is as unnatural for a believer as it is for an apple tree to produce peaches. If you are a believer and you are not becoming like the God to whom you belong, that is as unnatural as it is for a peach tree to produce apples or an apple tree to produce peaches. It just can't happen. The natural result of where God is, is holiness. There's an obvious change. Now, the Lord illustrates that in the seventh chapter of Matthew. We're going to talk about that Wednesday night when we study that passage. He's, he's telling us how to detect a false teacher. You know how to, by the way, how would you tell somebody how to detect, how to identify a false teacher? You'd probably try to tell them, to watch and to listen for the teaching. <laughs> Jesus, when he was warning us against false teachers, he'd say anything about the teaching. You don't detect, you don't discover, you don't identify a false teacher by his teaching. Jesus said you identify a false teacher by his fruit. By his fruit. That is, by the natural produce of his life. You can, be a, you can teach truth and be a false teacher. You can be a false teacher and teach the truth. My daughter doesn't know too much about false teaching, nor does any 10, 12-year-old daughter. There's a guy on television that's so cool, so smooth, so polished. He teaches this weird stuff, and, and we listen to it, and you can't tell the difference. And, and some, of, some of us, some of you, have written off to it, and you've got hooked on that. Maybe not here, but the people that are watching on television might. Now, 
If I set my daughter down in front of television to listen to that guy and say, I want you to identify if he's a false teacher, she's not going to know too much about the teaching, but she knows a bad apple when she sees one. And I can take you to the Rogue in the Dallas Morning News a few years back where they keep those old newspapers. And I can show you a newspaper on the front page of that newspaper three days in a row. It talks about this man's adultery and immorality. That's his fruit. How do you detect? What do you know what is false and genuine? You look at the fruit. You look at the product of one's life. You look at the groove of one's life, the consequences of one's life. You watch the natural produce of one's life. And what Paul is saying is this, that if you are the genuine article, there's going to be holiness in your life. I didn't say that. He did. It's truth. A few weeks ago, we were over in Oklahoma City. It's about time to eat, about dinner time. And so we pulled into this mall over there to get something to eat. Saw this big sign, said cafeteria, and had the name of it. I'd never heard of it, but I was hungry, and I didn't, I, 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 I wasn't going to look around anymore. So we got out, and we went inside that mall and started looking for that cafeteria. Couldn't find it. Now, I know, you know, I, I don't know whether you like I am or not, but I'll, I'll, I'll stay lost for an hour before I'll ask anybody for directions. You're, you know, it's, it's kind of like you're admitting, you know, your, your frailty. Margaret will say, well, ask somebody. I'm not about to ask somebody, you know, and admit that I, I'm lost. So, so I, we, we walked around that mall. The thing was on the outside of the mall, really. You had to go outside to get to it. But we, we wandered around, and finally we came up this big map. This is right out in the middle of the mall. Big map. Now, the old boy that built that mall anticipated that one day some old boy is going to wander in from southeastern Oklahoma and would absolutely get lost in that mall, so he better fix him a map so they could, he could find out his way. And so I went up to this big map, had this big red X, and it said, You are here. Now, I didn't know that. <laughs> in fact, I didn't know where I was. I... So, so I looked there, and, and, and every store in that mall was there on that big map with a big red X that said, You are here. Now watch. In order to get where I needed to be, I had to first discover where I was. In order to get where you need to be in the Christian life, you need to discover where you are. Are you the genuine article or the counterfeit? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have spoken. Your word is clear and plain, rings such a clear message. And it's painful, Lord, to confront reality. I pray that you'll enable us to confront reality. To first discover where we are before we move on to where we want to be. And now I pray, Father, that you'll draw back the curtains and help us to see clearly the next step we need to take. Because I pray in Jesus' name. Now, there are three kinds of invitations.
One invitation has to do with first-time decision. You can be a member of a church. You can be baptized. But for Jesus Christ to come and live in your life, you have to repent of the self-life where you've been a slave to unrighteousness and to the devil and surrender the control of your life to Him. Have you ever done that? Have you ever repented of your sin and trusted Jesus and Him alone? Have you, have you ever turned over the operation of your life to Him? The second invitation this morning has to do with church membership. Two folks in the early service came today to say, we want to be a part of our, this fellowship. We feel God leading us here. Do you, do you have that same testimony? We'd like for you to come. Maybe you're home from college. You'd moved your membership. You're going to be here for three months. Come on, let's get back in here. Or maybe just this morning, you've, you just need to come to say, well, I know I'm saved, but I've come to that period when I've stopped growing and there's no fruit in my life. You'd like to come rededicate your life to Christ. Let's do it today while we stand to sing.